0: Scribe is the magic behind Colossus Transcripts, and Scribe is the presenting sponsor of this episode of Making Media. One of the best decisions we made at Colossus was transcribing all of our audio into a searchable transcript library. Now, we had been using another provider who won't be named up until the summer of 2022, but we were constantly having issues with the accuracy of our audio even if it was just the slightest bit impaired or hard to hear. Scribe has solved those problems and more. So whether it's training sessions that you're having, internal Q&As, or for media purposes like ours, the value of transcripts is huge and probably bigger than I even ever expected. And we're not alone. Scribe is the service that powers all of SP Global, like Capital IQ, and their client list also includes our friends at Tegas. So go to joincolossus.com backslash scribe, that's S-C-R-I-B-E, and you'll unlock 150 minutes of free transcription. Again, joincolossus.com backslash scribe to test their capabilities. Making Media tells the story of our media business, Colossus. If you aren't familiar with our platform, make sure to check out joincolossus.com. There you'll find our latest episodes across each of our shows, the transcripts, supporting third-party materials, and even some written content as well. So whether you're an investor or an operator, we're out to create the content that we wish we had when we were in those exact roles. Invest Like the Best, Business Breakdowns, Web3 Breakdowns, and Founders each cover different angles of the ecosystem. And our special series like 50X and Return on India are targeting niche topics. Again, make sure to check out JoinColossus.com for more on the platform. (music) Let's do this. Welcome to Making Media. Humans are in an eternal quest for convenience. Save me time, make my life easier. My gosh, that was such a good start to an interview. All right, welcome back to Making Media. We have another episode where we will look inside Colossus. We are testing formats here, as you know. And what we're likely to do is gather the questions that you send us and do some type of regular cadence, whether that's monthly or quarterly, where we hit on all the follow-ups and maybe questions you had about particular episodes, questions about our business. Some might call this a mailbag. We will simply make it an Inside Colossus Q&A episode. How does that sound to you, Dom?
1: Perfect. Yeah, we had some honest feedback that our long intro to Doug's episode maybe wasn't the most interesting thing to listen to, and Doug's conversation was more interesting. We took that fully on board. We're now going to house these independently in episodes. So if you want to listen to them,
0: great. We'd love to have you. If you don't, we also understand. They will be clearly marked Inside Colossus. We'll kick it off with a topic on the data. I think we're going to try to just basically take this where it is more of the data and numbers up front, and then more of the qualitative art behind the content on the back end of the episode. But there was this interesting debate going on on Twitter over the past couple of days, and honestly, something that we've received a lot of questions about, and that's ideal episode length. David from Acquired noted that there is actually a strong correlation between their most popular episodes being their longest episodes. You obviously see big podcasters like Joe Rogan, who frequently has three-hour-plus-long episodes. Anything below three hours is on the shorter end. Before I share our data, do you have a strong view on episode length?
1: Yeah, I've got a very strong view, and that is it should be as long as necessary, but no longer. Like a true artist. Yeah, exactly. A non-answer. I do think it's worth noting... Anything over two hours, I think, is impressive. I was on a breakdowns recording last week that went for two hours, 15 minutes, and I was wiped by the end of it. Three, four hours is pretty good going. But in terms of actual length, I'm not going to give you a straight answer. I just
0: think until it becomes boring, you should just keep going. And I think we'll get into why. I think you tapped into something there in terms of your exhaustion level. If you put yourself on the other side of the table as a guest, when you're exhausted, you might be more likely to open up. So... Sometimes it takes a little while to break in and let go of your guard and really open up. And that's what those long episodes can be ideal for. But in terms of our numbers, actually, it supports what David was saying. A lot of our most popular episodes are actually our longest episodes. So Oswalt Motorin, our Invest Like the Best champion, has the second longest episode ever. He is our most popular episode ever. And there are quite a few in that top 5 category of longest episodes that show up on our top 10 list. So I think it's clear there in the interview format. But what's also interesting is it actually translates over to business breakdowns as well, which is slightly different format. But you had several episodes which at the time were number one. So Formula One, UMG, the NFL breakdown, the Berkshire breakdown all of these rank in the top five in terms of longest breakdowns. And at the time, they were number one in terms of most downloaded episodes. So it's clear that that does not seem to be a deterrent from people downloading the actual episodes. And I guess that doesn't really surprise me because that's just one point of it. It's just the actual download itself.
1: Yeah. I asked David this the other day on Twitter after he posted that comment. I said, How well does that correlate to your enjoyment in the prep for an episode? Because my intuition was, if you guys are really enjoying looking into LVMH, which has obviously got a rich and colorful history, then the episode is naturally going to be longer. But also, you're going to bring more energy, enthusiasm, and insight to the conversation, which then should bump the numbers up. Uh, He came back and said, I enjoy them all equally, which I think that's a non-answer.
0: But I'll take it. A proper politically correct answer. But I certainly feel it myself, where there are certain businesses, and I put it more in the business breakdowns category, where I could go on forever talking about them. And some of them where I maybe can get a little more tired out. That can also be as a result of the guest as well. Have you actually ever heard of the Rule of 41? I haven't. Talk to me. I don't know where it came from. But it has been mixed behind the scenes in podcast circles for some time, which is... After 41 minutes, that's when you see the largest drop off of listeners. And I really should dig deeper in terms of where the source is for this. I tried to really run that against our numbers. And it actually seems like on average, our listeners will stick around for over an hour. And especially on some of these longer episodes, you definitely see a drop off as it gets to the fourth quarter of the conversation, if you break it down into different chunks of the conversation. But on All of those long episodes that rank in the top 10, we had listeners sticking around for north of an hour, which is pretty interesting to me. It's not this massive drop-off that you would see after 20 minutes or 30 minutes. People do stick around.
1: Why are rules always in the 40s? The software rule of 40, this rule of 41. There must be a few others out there. Very odd.
0: Yeah, I think you've only got two right now, and that's the extent of it. Two more than I would expect. (laughs) Yeah, it was good branding for the rule of 41 because... I was like, well, it must be true, because it's not 40 or 45. It's 41. And I still need to go back and find where that came from. But yeah, that's been out there. It doesn't really match with our data. We do see people sticking around longer. How about personally, in terms of podcasts, besides the Colossus podcasts, do you tend to flock towards longer podcasts, shorter podcasts? Is there any change in your behavior based on the length?
1: I honestly trend to longer podcasts, anything less than 30 minutes. I find quite difficult because naturally you just struggle to get into any kind of depth. And I tend to find when I listen to an episode that's between I don't know fifteen and thirty minutes, is either like really newsy, which I'm not really into, or it just never goes deep enough, and they're very surface level questions. And so I always come away thinking that wasn't really worth my time. So I tend to go for longer podcasts. What I would love to see data on, and podcasting is notoriously bad for good data, is how many chunks of time people listen to so if someone's listened to an episode for an hour and 2 minutes how many sittings is that in their morning commute on the train ride might be 20 minutes they've listened there and then on the way back they listen for another 20 minutes the following day they listen for another 20 minutes like how many times is this broken up because i think that would be really interesting in terms of how you might structure a conversation to say actually every 20 minutes you kind of want a change of topic in a big way almost a chapter if you like i think that would be fascinating
0: no it's a really good point with acquired especially I view those as audiobooks. So I can think about when the Sony episode came out, when the NFL episode came out, I'm looking at three to four hours worth of content. And I know I'm likely to break this into three chunks. And I actually change what I'm listening to based on what I'm ultimately going to be doing. So if I'm doing some type of yard work, it's different than if I'm commuting. So it's kind of interesting how that plays a role. I actually agree with you. I tend to go more towards longer episodes. And it's for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned. Once you factor in advertising that's typically involved in podcasts, plus a warm-up period, I feel like you're probably not going to get the level of depth that you would hope for. And I don't want to have to end up switching to a new podcast or warming up to something new. So it's kind of interesting how it counters what a lot of the feedback has been, what a lot of people say about episodes being too long. And maybe that's just... a product of us being in the industry, but it's notable. And to hear it from so many different podcasters, it's particularly interesting. So if anybody has interesting data points or information, would love to see it. Again, whether it's hello at joincolossus.com or our DMs are open, we would love to see any of the information you have. It comes from a lot of different sources. We obviously have access to certain data within Apple, Spotify, and others, but we'd love to see what you have on your side.
1: This brings up a related bugbear of mine, which is podcasts that don't have show notes. Let me see into the contents of your podcast, particularly if it's long. That helps me see whether I'm going to enjoy this if I want to skip. Particularly people who are like, hey, you can find this insight within our podcast. And then you go to the podcast and you can't tell where it is. I think that's criminal. People should be banned from podcast players
0: if they don't have show notes. I believe that wholeheartedly. That's aggressive. It's not good etiquette. We still need to change our show notes because the format that we use for our timestamps works on our website, but not on the players. So Joe, the engineer on the queue. That ball is firmly in Joe's court. Submitted a ticket, speaking it into existence. I actually get complaints about that a lot. Just being able to click brings you right there. Got to get that incorporated soon, soon, soon. It's a first quarter initiative.
1: <laughs> Jay, your time is counting down.
0: Yes. Next question on the business and sponsorships, monetization, a ton of these questions that have come in, how we set rates, who do we work with, what's a creative way to monetize. Broadly speaking, has there been anything that's really surprised you about the business model of podcasting or Colossus since you've joined?
1: Number one thing that surprises me is the number of people who when I tell them that I'm in the podcasting business, they say, Oh, cool. How does anyone pay you for that work? Which I guess speaks to your question and why people have reached out about this. I think if I go a click deeper, what has surprised me, the different ways you can monetize a podcast, how difficult it is for subscription podcasts to grow versus subscriptions and other mediums like newsletters. And then if you have really compelling content, your ability to actually monetize that. And I think you can do it at a level far higher than I probably would have expected before. That would be my key takeaways.
0: Yeah, I think that Sean Griffey episode we had, and Sean's been on several podcasts before, talking about B2B media, which is, to me, another way of saying your listener might have access to a corporate card and represent a decision maker within an organization. You're making media for people who can make large purchases on the behalf of organizations. And I think that is a key difference in terms of monetization potential for certain podcasts versus for others, because the industry as a whole operates on traditional metrics. Per thousand downloads, you get X rate. And those rates, when you, again, use rules of thumb, on average, $25. But that is just strictly for consumer-driven purchases and consumer-driven products. Once you start getting into more unique audiences where the purchase can be substantially higher, that cost or the price per subscription price per thousand downloads, if you want to translate it into those terms, gets significantly higher. So it's always about figuring out if there's a unique audience that you have that you can measure that you have that unique audience and doing that in different ways. So whether it's running surveys, having information on your website that can capture who the audience is, and being able to message that to advertisers. I mean, it's certainly not easy. And then attribution for podcasts is notoriously hard. So the best companies build that into their sales workflow. How much can you really encourage that company to do that? I think if you want to see whether the campaign is performing well, it just can't be a link. It needs to be part of the sales conversation. Where did you hear about us? And I think that makes a big difference. So we've been creative in very limited ways, I would say. I'm not going to boast that we're very, very unique in terms of how we sell sponsorships. But we work with partners and try to get them exposure, not just through the podcast, but through our newsletter, which has substantial subscription. And then also on our website in different ways. And then you can get creative with the formats, whether it's ad reads, whether it's interviews, different things like that. We have not explored sponsored content other methods where you've heard a lot of our other guests talk about the way that they look to monetize that way. But that's other low hanging fruit. How do you identify central
1: sponsors? I very much leave this in your court. I'll handle the content, you handle the money. And we don't sell any mattresses, which notoriously grew on the back of podcasting those kind of products. Do you have a list of people that you go out to when we're thinking about a new podcast or even existing ones?
0: And what's your strategy? Yeah, we do not sell saddles here. That's the strategy. There is a two-prong strategy. There is the incoming funnel, which is as easy as having our website with a sponsorship form, which comes right into our Slack. It's a very nice integration. And since we've opened up that funnel for other things like guest submissions, partnerships in other directions, we've actually seen a lot of incoming. So people seek you out in different ways. That's one thing that's beneficial and you can get a lot of information up front. The other is obviously the more bottoms up micro approach, which I simply use the vendors that I might have been using when I was in the investment world or vendors that I know are very important to other businesses that we might have high listener exposure to. And do outreach that way. I think the best and most successful way that I see this works is that you have some type of champion within that organization. Certainly helps if it's coming from the top at a founder level or the CEO level, but it can also be somebody that's attached to the marketing department that might happen to listen to the show. That goes a very long way, as with any sales process, the personal relationship and somebody who can vouch for you within an organization. The way that it does not work is when you are pitching it. They have not heard of the show. They have no familiarity with the podcast. And I can tell you, you can spend a lot of time. And I think we have zero successful conversions when that's the case. There's a lesson there.
1: Rhymes with guest sourcing as well. Are there any useful companies that can connect you with potential
0: sponsors? I think there are. I just don't have that list. I want to be clear that I'm not saying no. I think that there are definitely agencies, platforms, even something like Megaphone or Lipsin, they're starting to lean into advertising. And I think what I've seen on Spotify and how advertising is evolving on Spotify, the amount of experimentation, you could see where this is going. So I do think that it's something that's going to continue to get better, not just from the brokering of more bespoke contracts. But I think the digital experience will get better. I think programmatic advertising has a lot of negativity that swirls around it in terms of where your ads actually show up. But if you view it from the supply side and what can be possible, it's silly to say that the technology can't make it a better experience in terms of who you can expose yourself to in terms of the inventory that you have and who you might want to work with. So I do think you're going to see a lot of progression in that over the next 2 to 3 years. Yeah. It's a fair
1: point. Do you think technology is going to do you out of a job in five to seven years? In terms of like, at the moment, will programmatic ads become so good and the targeting good enough that you can monetize depending on your audience at a higher rate and be able to look through those things? And so we wouldn't need to necessarily go out and find long-term partners. We could just put it on a platform like Spotify and they'll do the aggregation for us. Then they'll sell ads against it. They know exactly who our customers are. We won't need to worry about it. We'll just get paid at the end of the month.
0: I think not. I think that The best opportunities always come from bespoke contracts, illiquid transactions that can't be digitized. The quicker you move towards just making your content itself just this commodity that could be sold in a very digital way, the faster you'll just give up any type of profit opportunity. I think people who can be creative about approaching partners where there really is going to be substantial ROI... And you can monetize just more intelligently. I think it goes towards every business in terms of partnerships, deal making. If you can get into more illiquid type transactions and bespoke transactions, that's where there's more opportunity to create value on both sides. Honestly, it's not just speaking for our own benefit. Is there anything
1: in particular when you're talking to sponsors that is always like a recurring theme that they want to know other than just standard download metrics?
0: It's who the demographics are of your audience. The level of detail that you have access to is really important. And you could tell them that we have the best investors in the world listening to us. We hear from them quite often. But if you can't capture that in an easy data snapshot, it makes it tougher for them to then bring it up the ladder. That's why having those champions in organizations makes such a huge difference. They can just believe it internally and they can make the decision themselves. I think it marries with what I'll use Sean Griffey again in that episode, where they do have that layer of detail based on their website and the amount of information that they gather anytime someone subscribes, we are a step away from that layer of information. It requires a little bit more of a leap of faith when it comes to who the audience is, or some type of familiarity with us and knowing that that is the truth based on the amount of conversations. Yeah. And then the other thing that
1: surprised me, going back to your original question with this, is just how difficult it is to get paid sometimes, obviously, you can set up a contract. I guess maybe that's the other thing to go into. Like, what do your contracts tend to look like? What are you trying to negotiate in those contracts? Is it long term deals, all that kind of stuff? And then in the actual payment process, I think like most small businesses, receivables and payables um, are a key component of, 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 of those businesses.
0: You'd be surprised, actually. So many people have questions about this and then ask about other podcasts. And there's a lot of this information that's out there publicly, is what I would say. If you just click around on other websites, you will see other podcasters' information about audience size and monetization and what it costs in their payment terms. Historically, the agencies have controlled a lot of media budgets, and they were middlemen for large organizations. So you didn't have the marketing arm necessarily in the organization or the marketing arm worked with these media agencies. And... Those media agencies were particularly tough in terms of payment terms. So even though the client might pay the agency in 2022, you might not see your money for months. After the campaign is run and you're trying to collect it and it's business, I think it is very much intentional, but it is frustrating. We try to make it clear up front, there is going to be some deposit up front before we run our ads. And I try to take it the same as the general contractor approach. You always want to owe them it's a tricky thing and it's not always easy to execute on, but our best partners are those that come in direct and that are willing to at least come to some type of agreement in terms of some type of deposit upfront and then something paid as the show runs And it's tricky. doesn't always work. And every contract is unique. You have people within those organizations that change hands. Many times, the decision maker who approves something is not the same person that's running the finance department. So those are just natural things that come with the territory. But ideally, you don't want to be in a situation where the working capital gets too skewed against you.
1: Yeah, it makes total sense.
0: One of the more interesting questions that I got... And a lot of it revolves around audience growth, but people often talk about the different artwork on our shows. And someone said, do you think that has any impact? you think it helps with audience growth? No. I mean, this is a really tough question. You didn't like the face that I just made, did you?
1: <laughs> so here's what I'd say. I don't think it helps with growth, but it doesn't hurt. You can't launch a podcast without artwork. So if you're going to make artwork, you may as well make it good. And if you can make it bright and clear, then that is obviously helpful. And like most brands, you want to stand out in a sea of other brands. An interesting wrinkle with podcasting, particularly the platforms like Apple and Spotify, rather than them curate podcasts for their homepage and say, these are podcasts that we're recommending, you have to submit to them and then they review. In that stage, one of the key things that they say is make your artwork really bright and stand out. I guess... If I were to roll back what I've just said, for them, clearly, it does matter. And clearly, it helps with audience growth. But generally, I think it's a kind of a vanity thing. I think it's nice to have. Obviously, you want it to look nice and stand out. But do I think it helps with growth? Not really. For me, everything comes down to the quality of the conversation. Like Without that and having a really strong, compelling conversation, everything else
0: is kind of mute. It's a marginal thing. That's my answer. Thank you, Captain Obvious for pointing that out I was trying to view the artwork in a vacuum, isolating the variable. You can't. You can't do that. You can. I think you honestly can because there are certain things that artwork allows you to do. Does it help with audience growth? No, I don't think it helps with audience growth, but it can help with a few things. Brand recognition. So a lot of our invests like the best guests like that they have these characters that are made as part of the artwork and those act as almost what I would call a badge. So if you have that, You can use that in a badge in different ways. We've seen people use it as their profile pictures. We've seen people submit it to different platforms and social media. So I think it's unique in that sense. I think you also have this element of artwork where it adds some type of substance to what you're doing. So it might get you attention where I've seen certain cover art and said to myself, oh, that looks interesting based on how it's presented to me. And I might give that a shot versus the four other podcasts. When I search for a specific term or a specific person, I might lean into one, honestly, based on the artwork. So I don't think it's that crazy. And then the third thing is I think it matters when you are running different experiments within the same feed. So if we were to take business breakdowns and run different series within the business breakdowns feed, we could easily label them with different artwork. And the best comparison is you see other podcast networks when they have particular shows dedicated to particular sports, they will use the same feed, but there's a different host on Mondays and Tuesdays, and those different hosts will have different podcast art to designate that. I think it helps categorize certain things and that can help differentiate within a feed. So going back to your original point, I actually think that artwork does help in specific ways. Audience growth, no. But I think in terms of building a brand for yourself, I think it does make a difference. Yeah, but that wasn't the question. It helps with personality and brand. You're right. I think the interesting
1: thing is you look at so many of the most popular podcasts in the world, and they don't have either very good artwork or they don't have separate episode artwork. Like who? Say some names.
0: Jay Rogan's artwork's awful. I and mean, he's the biggest podcaster in the world. That's his brand. Listen, can you get there? Perhaps without making nice artwork? and you have crappy artwork? Sure. I'd respect that as a brand. But I think it makes sense in terms of owning it. And especially if it's not something that's your name then I think it matters quite a bit. And I bet if Joe Rogan were to start today, he would probably put a little bit more time into the artwork than he does. Can
1: I just be clear? I'm not against nice artwork. I love nice artwork. I put a lot of time and effort into our artwork. However, I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. If anyone's got that in their mind, then let me clear that from your brain.
0: Nothing is the be-all and end-all. Again, we're viewing it in a vacuum. You're taking both sides, but I honestly think... Yes, it is clearly not going to be the main thing that drives your podcast. But I think it helps, especially if you're in a creative type. Honestly, we've gotten compliments on our work. Another person jumped into the messages, into the replies, asking who does our artwork. Our guy, Marco. If you want to talk to him, get in touch. We'll connect you. Who does our artwork? Marco does our artwork. Really? You're going to take credit for it? Yeah, I want credit for this. Wow. Well, you know what? I've decided artwork doesn't really matter. So... <laughs> You can give up that job now. Yes, you get credit for this. I will give you full credit for our title and our, our work here. Maybe you're just trying to protect your monopoly and that's why you're taking the funny stance on this. All right, moving on to a different topic here. And this one, I think we'll dedicate an episode with one of our hosts on this. So that's going to be upcoming. But a lot of conversation around the prep for an episode, the process, what the typical turnaround looks like in terms of sourcing a guest to actually producing the episode. I think you are particularly good in addition to your (laughs) successful art career over there. You also do a lot in terms of prepping the episode and turning those around. So maybe you can enlighten us, uh, Da Vinci, and give us the rundown. Firstly, his name was Leonardo. He was just from Vinci. That's why Da Vinci comes from there. Let me clear
1: that up first and foremost. Secondly, it really varies depending on which podcast we're talking about. So something like Invest Like The Best, Patrick is the man who sources all of his conversations, or i say 96% of them. Whereas something like Business Breakdowns on the other end of the spectrum is very much in-house. And then Web3 Breakdowns is kind of in the same mold as Patrick's Invest Like The Best. The guest sourcing can take anywhere from a week to a month, just finding someone for the right business longer probably right we've had some guests where it's taken a while yeah that's definitely true and the question that always comes with this is what comes first the business or the guest and spoiler alert it can come in both formats sometimes there's a business that we're really really keyed in on hermes would be a great example where we just really want to break down that business so then we go out and find um, the perfect guests and often that can be going through shareholder registers big shareholders who are long-time shareholders in these businesses and then we try and find those people and sometimes we come across a guest and we think hey Ben Clymer, great example. What could we get him on Business Breakdowns for? How about Rolex? So those are the two different ways. I guess also can take a long time. The prep probably is two or three weeks work. And that's where we have pioneers who work within our business. They're part-time contractors, fans of the show, and they're a huge part of our business. And they are all across the world. And they put together a lot of the prep for Business Breakdowns. So for example, if we're doing Hermes One of our pioneers would put together research on that business, which we then would share with the guest... Ahead of time, really setting the expectations and saying, Hey, we're really serious about this business. This is our prep, mostly for our benefit in terms of asking good questions in the conversation. But also we want you to be focused that this conversation is not going to be high level. We really want to go into the weeds with you. Please have numbers to hand. Please make sure that you know the intricacies and the details. As Matt likes to say, numbers and narratives are the order of the day for business breakdowns. And so you need both of those to make a great episode. So that's probably
0: two, three weeks. Then the recording, which is 90 minutes over zoom. Let me just go back to the prep and give that some attention. How often do you think the guests are participating in that prep for the episode? Probably 60% of the time. Do you think there's a strong correlation between those that participate in the prep and the outcome? Yes. Leading the witness, baby. Yes. You can definitely
1: sense when someone's going to bring it in the episode because they've been very engaged in the process. They're sharing their notes. You're sharing your notes. You're coming together. They're all good indications, red flags of people that don't reply or just say, yep, that looks good. Thanks. That doesn't always hold true. There are some people that we don't hear from, which is totally fine. They tend to be bigger names that come on and then just crush it, which is great. In many ways, I'm more in favor of that because it's less work for me. But generally, there's a strong
0: correlation between people who are engaged in the process and end up delivering a good breakdown. I would just add there, every once in a while, you get someone who is overprepared. And I have found that it's more about the nerves up front than anything. And they might try to stick to a script or they want to tie everything in there. But you can usually work to tame that. Every once in a while, it just doesn't work. But I would much rather go in that direction versus someone who just isn't participating in the prep. Also, oh, everyone's
1: being conditioned to think, I can't give too much detail because people find it boring and they'll tune out of the episode. We started with this by saying that longer episodes are generally better. For us, we want the detail. We want them to bring as much weird and wonky stuff as possible, because that generally makes for better conversations. We can edit that stuff out if it is generally boring. Which brings me to the post-production process. So after we've recorded, we generally skim through it ourselves, make sure that the conversation is tight and good enough. And generally, we edit with a view of, are we interested in this? Is it giving a good overview of the business is it at the right level of detail. And then we send it to our editing team at the podcast consultant. Matthew Passy and his team there are excellent. We've been using them for a number of years, and they're very much part of our business as well. And they send us back the edited version within probably 24 to 48 hours, which we ship off to the guest for review. Now, the wrinkle here would be if we don't think there's enough good stuff in the first recording, we either need to do a second recording, sometimes that's a full, fresh second recording. Sometimes it's just additions that we can splice in.
0: What percentage of conversations do you think have second recordings? Probably 50% of business breakdowns ones. Really? You think that high? Yeah, I do. Not my breakdowns.
1: Not on yours. It's definitely between 25% and 50%. And
0: maybe recently, we've just had a lot. So I'm biasing to
1: my recent history.
0: And I actually have a second recording I have to do. so <laughs> Those second recordings can often make for better
1: episodes too. Yeah, you have to be really careful. So you need to be in the same setting as close to your mic as you were before using the same Michael-like stuff. Because if you splice in a recording that sounds way off, it's really jarring. We've had a few of those. I won't point you to which episodes because whenever I listen to them, I cry a bit.
0: Yeah. There's a funny thing actually with audiobooks, some really famous audiobooks that I've been listening to recently, where it is clear that is also what's happening. But it's these weird additions, like anecdotes at the end of sentences where I'm like, why the hell did this need to be added? The setting was clearly very different. The tone of voice was very different. It doesn't add anything to the actual book. And it makes me like scratch my head a lot. Yeah, you have to be careful because you can overwork these
1: conversations. And if you do do extra recordings, generally good practice to do full questions and answers. Don't add sentences. And I very much discourage people from doing that. Some guests, when they look at their transcript or they listen back, they're very specific about taking words out. Now, podcasts are not like written blogs or articles. People don't pore over every single word. They're probably listening at 1.2 to 1.5 times speed while doing something else. If someone messes up a sentence, that's not going to be an issue. There is more redundancy allowed in a podcast rather than the written word with a guest for review. So that's probably two to three days after recording. And then depending on our pipeline, if we don't have many episodes and we need to run it ASAP, then the guests can have anywhere from two to sometimes one day to review. We try and give them a week to review. That's good practice because they're busy. And then they come back to us with any edits that they need generally from a compliance standpoint. And then once they're good to go, we release. So I'd say probably the release is anywhere between a week to two weeks after their recording is generally when we're releasing their episode. How many episodes in inventory do we typically have? <laughs> a couple, probably. A couple of produced ones. Never as many as we would like. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast. So in December, we had maybe like five or six, which was unprecedented for business breakdowns. And at the moment, actually, we've got quite a few in Best Like the Best. The problem is, and this is just human nature, and I'm very much the problem here. When we have a lot on the hopper, my mind goes to doing other things rather than guest sourcing, which naturally deteriorates the hopper. means that we don't have
0: new conversations coming up, and then I get in a pickle. Awesome. Well, I think that was a very good breakdown of the process. That was all I had in terms of main questions that were reoccurring and coming in. We are testing some new things. We might make a platform change. So we're looking at potentially using a new podcast host that is upcoming. We also have some other stuff going on behind the scenes, which we might share about the business. As always, to the extent that you have questions, send them our way. Anything else from your side that you would highlight? Just going back very, very quickly
1: to the process.
0: Every now and again, we do have to tell
1: guests that we won't be using their recording, which is a very painful thing for us and for them. I appreciate a lot of time has gone into it on both sides. Not a nice thing to do. If anyone has any tips on how to let people down more gently, still haven't found the right format or the right words to say. So if you've got that kind of advice, then please let me know. We won't not do it because I don't know how to send the email. We will do it.
0: It just generally not a pleasant thing to do. That has been actually the most common thing that we have gotten asked about since we mentioned that with the Patrick episode. People were surprised to hear that. People had a lot of questions about how we do it. It changed the thinking on their side of things in terms of what they should potentially do in the future. And the only thing that I would add is we typically give a second opportunity to record, particularly if it's a business breakdown. We typically explain exactly why we think it's not a good fit. And oftentimes, it's also to protect them. We know how our audience could be in terms of certain episodes and how they might be perceived or certain things like that. So we try to make sure that it's a positive reflection on both sides of it. But yes, that has been a very common piece of intrigue and feedback coming back our way. So no major surprise there. Yeah, it's never fun, never easy. Definitely. Just don't not do it. That's my advice. Meaning don't run the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think we've generally felt like that was the right decision. 100%. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dom. We got a couple of fun interviews coming up on more of the journalist side of things. So I have this very interesting thing that's playing out in my head where you see... Either incumbent media or people as part of bigger media organizations, either trying to go independent on their own, sticking with those organizations. So there's a lot to explore there. I think a lot of that comes as like a follow-on from the Doug DeMuro conversation and seeing the pivots that he's made over time. Lots of interesting stuff behind the scenes. Doug was our biggest episode after four days that was north of thirteen hundred downloads, I think. So on pace to be fairly big within the first week numbers continue to grow. So thank you for spreading the good word. We got more fun stuff in the coming months. So stay tuned as always. Thank you for joining making media.